0: Our scripture lesson this morning will be Acts chapter 17, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts 17. We are beginning today uh, a series from 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. For the last two or three months, I have felt God drawing me to these letters as the first study as we begin our new year. And 1 Thessalonians starts with Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Now, today we're going to set the stage for our study of 1 Thessalonians. In Paul's day, Thessalonica was a dynamic city. It had a population, we think, of about 200,000 when Paul was there. It was very strategically placed in the northern part of Greece on what was called the Ignatian Way, which was a trade route that spanned Macedonia from east to west. And so it was strategically placed where it had people from all over the Macedonian area and the Roman Empire coming through there uh, in their business and in their trades so it was strategic in many ways, including the spread of the gospel. Paul could say in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.8, Your faith in God has been known everywhere. What's interesting about Thessalonica is that it still exists today. It's called Thessaloniki or Salonika. It is the second largest city in Greece, uh, behind only Athens, and it's considered to be the cultural capital of, of Greece, and today it has a population of over 350,000. So this is a real city. It still exists today, and we're going to begin looking at the church at Thessalonica from Acts chapter 17. Because when you study one of Paul's letters to a church, it's always helpful to go to Acts and read what you can about the origin of that church. Now, Luke was the author of the book of Acts. He was a physician. He was one of Paul's traveling companions, probably Paul's personal physician. And he traveled with him on his missionary journeys. And so Luke, who wrote Acts, usually gives us the high points of what happened in those cities. And then when you read the letter that Paul writes back to that city... He fills in some of the gaps. We'll see that especially today as it relates to the church at Thessalonica. So, anytime that you're reading, you know, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, it's always helpful to go back to the book of Acts and read about what happened when that church started, because that will give you context then for what Paul's talking about in some of his letters. So, in Acts chapter 16, Timothy joins Paul and Silas on their journey. Paul has that vision of the Macedonian man. You remember, come into Macedonia and help us. They go to Philippi, where they meet Lydia, and where you may remember the Philippian jailer and the earthquake and what must I do to be saved. And Paul and Silas had been beaten and thrown in prison. And the magistrates find out that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, and they were not supposed to be treated that way. And the magistrates go to Paul and Silas and say, please leave. Just please go out of town. Don't cause us any trouble. Don't report us. Just please leave. And Paul and Silas, Timothy, leave. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 17, verse 1. When they had passed through those two cities beginning with A, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they didn't find them there, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Verse 13. When the Jews in Thessalonica heard that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So that's where the letters to the church at Thessalonica come in. After leaving Thessalonica, Paul goes to Berea, then he goes to Athens, and at some point Timothy joins him in Athens, and we know from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, that Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica, and he says, let me know how the church is doing. He says in 1 Thessalonians, and 1 Thessalonians is a short book, and I would encourage you to just read it at a sitting a couple of times, you know, just over these next few weeks to kind of get the, the flow of what's going on here. Most people think that this bond that Jason had to post probably included the stipulation that Paul wouldn't come back. And so because Paul says, I wanted to come back to you, but I couldn't circumstances prevented me from coming. Some think that's what the deal was. He had to stay out of the city. But he wanted to know how this young church is doing because he had to leave them basically in the middle of the night. He didn't have a chance for, you know, my last address to you. He's, He's leaving, and he wants to know how they're doing. So he sends Timothy back to them, and Timothy comes back to Paul, gives him the report on how the church is doing, and Paul wants to write a letter of encouragement to them, and that's First Thessalonians. As I was reading this beginning of the church in Acts chapter 17, some things stood out to me. And, and I, I've titled today's lesson, Insights from the Greatest Church Planter Ever. Because <laughs> Paul was certainly the greatest church planter. You know, you talk about going someplace and starting a church. The Apostle Paul did it more and better than anyone around. And there's some insights from his experience beginning the Church of Thessalonica that I want us to look at together today. The first is this. We need each other. We have different roles. We have different abilities. We have different skill sets. But each of us is necessary to God's work. Paul was able to do what Paul did because he had a team around him. And often at the end of his book, he'll just list a bunch of names of people who helped him while he was at that city. Paul realized more than anyone this is not me. You know, there's a team of people who are making it possible for me to do what I do. Silas was there, Timothy was probably there. He's not mentioned in Acts 17. But when Paul sends him back and uses him and and mentions him along with Silas in the first verse of 1 Thessalonians, you get the idea that Timothy was probably there and the Thessalonians were familiar with who Timothy was. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have sent him back to see how they were doing. Jason was the... house; He was the Airbnb. Jason was the guy who, who hosted... Paul and his traveling companions. So you've got this group of people involved in Paul's ministry at Thessalonica. We need each other. The Bible teaches that the church is a body, and every part of that body is necessary. And God decides which part we play. God decides which body part you are. And a good resolution for the new year is stop fussing about why you can't do what somebody else is doing and decide that you're going to do to the best of your ability what God has called and positioned you to do. Some will be Paul. Some will be Timothy. Some will be Jason. Some will be and Silas. <laughs> I was thinking about that. You know, you never hear, well, once Acts 15 is over, you hardly ever hear Silas. It's always and Silas, you know, Paul and Silas. It's almost like and became his first name, you know, but but here's something that's significant about Silas. In Acts chapter 15, verse 22, he is called one of the chief men at the church at Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem was corporate headquarters, denominational headquarters, and Silas is one of the primary people at headquarters. But in Acts 15, 34, he attaches himself to the apostle Paul. And for the rest of, well, not the rest of his life, but for the next vast majority of his life, he becomes and Silas, Paul and Silas. And then when you read Peter's epistles, after Paul has died, Silas attaches himself to Peter. And Peter says, I'm going to send Silas with this letter that I'm writing. So here's this man that starts out as one of the leading people at headquarters, who spends the rest of his life, if you will, as second fiddle to Paul and then to Peter. There is not one word that Silas spoke recorded in Scripture. He could not do Paul's work, but he could share the prison cell with him. He couldn't do Peter's work, but he could carry the letter to the church. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12 that the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And you know that if your appendix has ever burst or you've ever had gallstones, you understand that the parts of the body that seem to be not very important can really mess you up in a hurry. There is a principle of Scripture that when something is done by a lot of people working together, then each person is as important to the other and each person plays an indispensable role. You know, you, you, I enjoy football, and and I've learned, you know, from when Brian was coaching, and from observing things. You know, if you lose one of your good offensive linemen that nobody knows their name, you're going to be in trouble. It happened to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. The reason last year the Chiefs got creamed in the Super Bowl is half their offensive line was hurt, and they're playing with backups. And you know, you might know the name, not know the names of the offensive linemen, but if they're missing, you're going to be in trouble. The same thing is true in churches. The same thing is true in organizations. You maybe have seen it happen at work, where somebody retires or somebody moves on, and all of a sudden it seems like something's not right. Who's supposed to be doing this, and who's supposed to be doing that? And you realize that person, that nobody maybe really knew who they were, did a lot of stuff behind the scenes. And now that they're gone, everything's kind of a little bit tenuous. So please understand that whatever part of the body God has positioned you to be, you need to do what God has positioned you to do. And you say, well, I don't know what my role is. Well, look around. You know, What does God have you doing? Who does God have in your life? What are some things that are already happening around you that maybe that's what you're supposed to be doing? And that changes over time. You know, there are seasons in our lives and and we do things in a different way than we did earlier in our lives. And, and so sometimes I think that bothers us because, well, I'm, I'm not doing this or this or this anymore like I could when I was young. What am I supposed to do now? And, and we need to pray and ask God, Lord, show me what it is that I'm supposed to be doing now. And if you can't think of anything else until you find uh, another answer, you can pray. <laughs> don't ever underestimate the power of prayer i remember hearing a story of a well-known minister who was having tremendous impact for god and somebody decided they would visit him and try to see if they could learn you know what his secret was and they said what what was your secret why is god really using you like this right now and he said let me show you and he took him downstairs of the church to a room, and he said, Right here is the secret. Every time I preach, there's a group of people in here praying. And that's the secret. That's where the power comes from. Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. The Kingdom Heirs have, have a song called I Can Pray. It'd be worth your listen. You can find it on YouTube or anywhere. I can pray. You say I'm not able. I'm too young or I'm too old. And I can't sing or teach and no title do I own. What can I do? I want to do my part. And I want to help the hurting with all my heart. I can pray until the walls come down. till there's healing all around. That's something I can do. I can pray in my secret place, calling on your name, that's something I can do, I can pray. Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. So lesson number one from the greatest church planner, we need each other. There's no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. We need each other. Lesson number two, there are different ways to evangelize. Paul starts, as was his custom, in the synagogue. And on the Sabbath days, he used words to evangelize. Let's look at the words that are used here. It says he reasoned with them, explaining and proving that Christ was the Messiah. He reasoned with them. Interesting word. I thought it meant, you know, deep intellectual conversations, but it's the word from which we get our English word dialogue or conversation, or discussion. Oh, that changes things, doesn't it? Part of Paul's teaching method was engage people in discussions. Too often, our presentation of the gospel is monologue, with no room for give and take. And it's important as you share your faith to make sure that you allow for discussion. And I think that's something that we all should be praying for. God, help me to have wisdom to know how to interject truth into the ordinary daily discussions that I have. How many times have you had a discussion with somebody and it took a turn you weren't expecting, and you weren't ready for it. And when you left that discussion, you said, "Man, they opened the door wide open, and I wasn't ready." You know, I said, "Lord, help me to be able, as I have discussions through my day, to be alert to opportunities to appropriately share the faith." And again, that's not. Oh, you said, "You said God." Let me tell you about God. You know. You understand what I'm talking about. In the natural discussions of things, you are able to talk to people about how God has helped you, how God has answered prayer. You have an opportunity to say, is it okay if I pray with you about that or pray for you about that? Ask God to help us in our discussions to become more intentional about sharing the faith. That's the word reason. And then it says he explained. That means to help somebody understand. It has with it the idea of opening up eyes and ears to to, uh, stimulate the desire to learn, to cause somebody to understand. I really don't think that those of us who've been in church most of our lives understand that most people don't understand church and don't understand God. If they have any kind of a concept at all, it's warped and skewed and not biblical. And we have an opportunity to help people understand what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ. You know, our statement of, of uh, purpose includes to present the, the claims of Christianity and in an understandable and believable way. And how important that is as we live our lives, as we speak the words, that would be understandable and believable. I heard somebody say this, when you're talking to people about Christ, don't make their decision be yes or no. Make their decision be yes or maybe later. I'd like to talk to you some more. And, and that's explaining Helping people understand. Our temptation is to drop the whole load on them all to you know the first time. No, you know you got time. God's not dependent on just you. You know God's got other people in their lives too. And then the word proving means to put one thing alongside another thing. So what he was doing was he was using the Old Testament scriptures. Remember now he's in the synagogue. He he's talking to Jews who open every meeting with a reading from the word. He's in the synagogue, and he's using their Old Testament scriptures alongside the life of Christ, proving that Jesus had to suffer and rise from the dead, and that this Christ, he says, this Jesus I'm proclaiming to you, he is the Christ, he is the Messiah. Now, just an aside here, in Acts chapter 17, when he is in Athens, where we left him in our reading, he goes to a place called Mars Hill. In Mars Hill, there were philosophers. They were Gentiles, they were not Jews. Mars Hill was not a synagogue. It was a place where the, the, Jew, the Greeks of the day, the Gentiles of the day, sat around and just discussed philosophy and religion. You know, Athens was that city that on every city block, It had an idol to a different god, and then there was another one to the unknown god. And when Paul goes to Athens, he does not open Old Testament scriptures, because they don't know anything about the Old Testament scriptures. He goes to a bunch of Gentiles, and he sits and has this discussion in their philosophical meeting saying... I see you've got all these idols around here, and and I see there's one to the unknown God. Would you like me to tell you a little bit about him? And he quotes their philosophers, and he quotes their people, and he does it differently. So, you know, there there are different ways to spread the gospel. You've got to start where your listeners are. And, you know, it used to be that, and, and I remember when I was in school, you know, and that was in the '70s. Yeah, you know, that's 50 years ago. You know, when when I was in school, one of our our props telling us guys, by the time you get to the local church, you will be preaching to people who are largely biblically illiterate. And he was right. And we live in a world that's biblically illiterate. You know, people think the epistles or the wives of the apostles, you know, and, and they don't know anything about the Bible. And so you go, out, well, the Bible says that doesn't mean anything to them. So we need to learn from Paul, start where they are, and find common ground, and take it from there. So he starts with evangelizing by words, but that was not the extent of his evangelization in Thessalonica. It goes on, and he evangelized by his life. In 1 Thessalonians one five, he says, We lived among you. In chapter 2, verse 8, he says, We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, that's the words, but our lives as well. Don't ever underestimate the power of your life as a witness for God. In fact, in our society today, most people are going to look at your life before they're going to be willing to listen to your words. Joe Aldrich in his book Lifestyle Evangelism called it words and music. He said our life is the music and the music sets the stage for people being willing to listen to the words. It's what Paul says in Acts chapter 20 verse 20. I taught you in the temple and from house to house. So Part of his evangelism was in the synagogue, teaching and going through the scriptures. The other part of his evangelism was in the marketplace, living his life among the people. Now there's some disagreement about how long Paul was in Thessalonica. In chapter 17 of Acts, verse 2, it says on three Sabbath days, you know he he did the teaching, but. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse nine, he says, we work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel to you. That implies that he was probably there longer than three Sabbath days. In Philippians chapter four, we find that the Philippian church sent him two offerings while he was in Thessalonica. And that probably was not two offerings in three weeks. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, he said, We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you, so that we could be an example. So the the idea that the three Sabbath days was the extent of Paul's stay in Thessalonica is probably not accurate. Now, that's why I told you at the very beginning, it's helpful to go to Acts and read what Luke says about the beginning of the church. And then when you read the letter that Paul wrote to them, he fills in the gaps. All right, it's not a contradiction, it's an addition. Apparently, best we can piece it all together is after those three Sabbath days, Paul's time in the synagogue was over, but not his time in Thessalonica. He moved to the marketplace, sharing his life with them, working night and day. We know he was a tent maker, working night and day so that he could pay his way and being there in the marketplace. In fact, some people think that he may have been there three to maybe six months in total. And that probably happened between Acts chapter 17, verse 4 and verse 5. In verse 4, you know, people are joining up with Paul and Silas, and in verse 5, the Jews are jealous, and they round up some people from the marketplace. Most people think that between those two verses is when Paul is working in the marketplace, he's hanging out with the other craftsmen in town, he's building his tents, he's sharing his life as well as the gospel, and Again, it could well have been that the combination of Paul's teaching in the synagogue and his lifestyle evangelism, if you want to call it that, in the marketplace caused the opposition that rose up. And the NIV, the bad characters from the marketplace, came and caused trouble, which leads to lesson number three, which is doing God's will will often lead to persecution. Or maybe it would be easier to understand if I just said doing God's will often will lead you to trouble. (laughs) Because when God moves, the devil does too. Have you learned that? (laughs) When God moves, the devil does too. I've seen it happen church-wide. I remember a a board member coming to me at one of our churches. We were in the middle of some incredible growth and some incredibly good things that were happening. And he said, do you realize that everybody in leadership in this church is going through some kind of an attack right now. You know, and it was. Because anytime God begins to move, the devil begins to move too. So don't be surprised by that. You know, if you've made your resolution about maybe reading more in the Bible this year or praying more this year, you've already run into opposition about that. Don't be surprised. Because 2 Timothy 3:12 says everyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that word means harassed and troubled and mistreated. And so persecution arises. The Jews are jealous. So they round up, the NIV is just so watered down. They round up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot. I much prefer what the King James says. The King James says they found lewd fellows of the baser sort. <laughs> I just love that. Lewd fellows of the baser sort. I was telling Donna about that phrase and she says, well, you know, sometimes they're lewd females too. (laughs) Lewd people of the baser sort. Now, you've run into some of them in your life, haven't you? Maybe they're just outside the circle. Maybe they're just inside the circle, but they're ready to move into action at the least sign of causing trouble for God's work. They're usually on the fringes until trouble starts. And when trouble starts, man, they show up at every meeting. They are there. They are ready to cause trouble. And, and, I mean, there are people that are like that on your job probably too. They don't do too much, but as soon as there's trouble, oh, here they come. So there were these lewd fellows of the baser sort in the marketplace Who were just kind of waiting for an opportunity to cause problems for God's work. And and sometimes it's just prudent to move on. You know, sometimes you've done all you can in a particular place and it's time to move on. Jesus said there are times when you need to shake the dust off your feet. You know, quit going back and going back and going back. It's time to move on. Paul more than once left places under the cover of darkness being let down in a basket over a wall somewhere so that he could escape and live to preach another day. And that's what happens in Thessalonica. As soon as it's night, after this riot happens, it's night and they send Paul and Silas away. Doing God's will will often lead you to trouble. Poor Jason all Jason was, was the Airbnb guy or the VRBO guy. You know, he, he was providing them a place to stay. And so when this riot happens and they're going after Paul and Silas, they can't find them. And so they find Jason and some of the other brothers who had been converted and drag them into the courts and saying, these people are, are allies of Paul and Silas and they have to post bond to be let go. Sometimes supporting God's people get you in trouble. <laughs> Through my ministry, there have been been people I've looked at and said, Boy, you know, we carry a lot of scars for each other. You know, sometimes that's true in, in the life of the church that you supporting God's work gets you in trouble. And isn't it interesting? That's why we read verse 13, that sometimes those troublemakers follow you. You try to leave and they won't let you. You know, the, you know, Paul goes all the way down to Berea and the rioters from Thessalonica hear that he's in Berea and so they go there too. And they agitate the crowd and stir them up and Paul has to leave again. Again, sometimes it's prudent to move on. Sometimes it's time to move on. And maybe that's a word about a relationship or a person in your life or something that keeps dragging you down, and you keep saying it's one more chance, one more time, one more time, and they keep dragging you down, one more time, one more time, and they keep dragging you down, I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm saying you might want to pray about it. Sometimes the prudent thing is move on. So Paul leaves Thessalonica, goes to Berea, has to leave Berea, because some of the same troublemakers are there, and so that's what happens to Paul at Thessalonica. That's the beginning of the church at Thessalonica. And there's one more lesson. And that comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 2. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. Another lesson from Paul as he plants these churches is to pray for those who have crossed your path. One translation of that verse says, I never cease to pray for you. Well, you just taught us, never underestimate prayer. Yeah, and now I'm telling you again. (laughs) Don't ever stop praying. As I was thinking about that, you know, it's easy for us to pray for the people that are in our lives right now. But what about the people that have crossed your path years ago or months ago? What about people that you helped at a significant time in their lives? How long has it been since you prayed for them? How long has it been since you sent them a text or something saying, you know, how you doing? You know, stock them on Facebook and send them a Facebook messenger if, you, if that's the only way you have to get a hold of them. Just thinking about you, you know, how, how's it going? How long has it been since you prayed for somebody who ministered to you in your past? You're at a critical point in your life and you didn't know which way to turn. And God sent somebody alongside of you that was a key person at that time in your life. You've not seen them in years, but they were a key person at that time in your life. Why don't you pray for them? You know, if God brings them to your mind, why don't you pray for them? I really think that, again, we we miss the point when we think that prayer doesn't do anything. And and Paul writes back, you know, he's not able to go see him. For whatever reason, he can't go back. But he says, I'm praying for you. And I'm giving thanks for you. Think about the people that have crossed your path. Either you have been helping them or they have been helping you. Pray for them. Pray for that person on the job that is absolutely stomping up and down on your last nerve. Pray for those people. Pray for the people in your family. Don't ever stop praying. Paul could not physically be with the Thessalonians, but he could pray for them. And your prayers can reach where you can't go. And in answer to your prayers, God can do things you can't do. And your prayers can reach behind prison walls. Your prayers can reach behind Nations that don't allow Christians in, your prayers can reach anywhere God can reach. And your prayers can accomplish things you can't do physically. Pray. So I got done with all this. I said, well, okay, so what? You know, I want this to be more than a Sunday school lesson about the beginnings of the church of Thessalonica. So I came up with three so whats. First, ask God to show you what he wants you to do this year. We need each other. Some of you are going to be Jason. Some of you are going to be Paul. Some of you are going to be Timothy. Some of you are going to be and Silas. Some of you are going to be and others. Yeah, But God, what is it that you have for me this year? Do it to the best of your ability with his help. What kind of ministry do you have me to do? Whose life do you want me to reach into? What is it that you want me to do? Second, I would encourage us to evaluate how we are sharing our faith and how we're living our lives and do our best to personalize that approach. Paul sometimes opened up the, New, the Old Testament scriptures. Sometimes he talked about philosophy. He started where his listeners were. I, I read something this week or last week it said, we should stop saying friendship evangelism and just start saying friendship. Because he said, when we talk about friendship evangelism, we're always trying to figure out how can I get this point in here? And how can I get this point in here? How can I say this? And said just be friends. And as you are friends with people, opportunities will naturally arise where you can drop just a sentence or a couple of sentences in to continue to pique their interest. So evaluate, Lord, how can I become more effective at sharing my faith? How can I become more effective in the discussions, the dialogues that I have through my day? And then third, I'm going to say it one more time, pray. Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. If we did one thing in 2022, and that is spent more time praying, I think we'd see a different. Life for us. Just pray and keep on praying. And and just, you know, I I do want to encourage you. Now, I'm not telling you that every day or four times a day you got to pray for those people, but I I do want to encourage you to think back and ask God to bring back to your memory people that you can pray for, that maybe you've, again, you've not seen in years, but they are or were significant to you. They were meaningful to you. And the said, God, you know, those people really helped us. I still, on a fairly regular basis, pray for all the people that helped us when we downsized. Because that was a massive undertaking. And if there hadn't have been that pastor that was willing to take my library, if there hadn't have been that pastor that was willing to take the pews, if there hadn't have been the people from the mission that were willing to take the equipment and stuff and, and give it to other churches, you know, I man, we'd have been in trouble, but God sent people along and we were able to bless a lot of other places as we downsized. And I still fairly regularly thank God for those people because they really were significant at a critical time in our church. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just trying to give you an example of what I'm talking about. Those people that have been of practical help to you, you know, i I thank the Lord on a regular basis for Terry, allowing us to be here. And, you know, ask God to bless him and his business the way he's blessing us. And just, you know, those kinds of things. Broaden your prayers, uh, and, and I think you'll you'll find something interesting happening inside of you as you do that. And you may blow some people away if you just send them a text. I just want you to know, I was praying for you. To, who is this? You know, uh, and by the way, I don't care who you are if you're praying for me. I'm glad you are But but let's allow God to use us to impact people for him. Father, it's a challenge because there's so many things that we can't say at work anymore. There's so many things that uh, we're not allowed to do anymore at work. And and sometimes it's kind of difficult to know how to do these things. And maybe, Lord, it's, it's a way of forcing us to getting back to the way Paul and others did it. That when people are discussing the Bible, we can discuss the Bible with them. And when they're discussing philosophies, we can discuss philosophies with them. And when they're discussing different ideas about things, we can join in those discussions. So help us, Lord, to be creative. Help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. To know what to say and when to say it and how to say it. And to know when not to say anything. But Lord, most of all, help our lives to reflect the love and the joy and the peace of Jesus. Lord, just as simple as being kind to somebody, help us, Lord, to allow your light to shine through us to this world of darkness. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and give you his peace now and evermore. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for tuning in. You're dismissed.